Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, Hobby Hotline. It was an hour and a half show. This is 15 minutes of things that were not the same as things I already said. So thanks to Top Spinning, the Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huxton Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Comsi.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Many of the sponsors were also mentioned in that show. Again, highly recommended. Check out Hobby Hotline every Saturday morning. And here it is. Upper Deck, reputable company. Tiger Woods, iconic, rookie card. What could go wrong? But if you've been around for a while, you realize, number one, this is not a tough card. And number two, it's not a tough card in the 10. Some of those prices are suspect in that sense. There's really cool stuff in that first upper deck set that is worthy of chasing. And that's what was motivating some of the chase of the wax. But it wasn't the base rookie cards of Tiger. But now it is. Yeah, well, to your point, some of those autos, I think I was just poking around, they're about three to $4,000. It has to be more than that now. All the modern sports card analytics take that base rookie and then work off from that and say, if that's that expensive, then surely the autograph or the numbered cards are going to be way more. So they'll apply a ratio to that, a multiple to that. So there's a ripple effect, and it starts with a base card, but the base card's pretty inflated at those prices. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the Tiger has millions of fans. They just produce so much of that wax. I'm always afraid that people coming in and like they buy a tiger for that and the ceiling doesn't stay there and then they lose and then leave the hobby that we, we all enjoy. I don't think that's the only choice because this is a hobby where you have some disappointments and some exhilaration. Dealers recommend that you buy what they have for sale. And so there's a bunch of those and they're out there for sale and if people buy them. If it turns and it goes down, then they can either hold or they can sell. And if they sell, hopefully they're going to say, I'm going to do a little more due diligence next time. Because the card is not tough, and it's not tough in 10. What are you going to purchase with your stimulus check? I'm not sure I'm going to get a stimulus check. But if I did, this is, to me, the better way to look at the hobby and your budget and what you want to buy and your spending habits. Instead of saying, I want this box, now how much is it? I think collectors ought to say, I got 600 bucks. What can I get with 600 bucks? To me, that's the healthier attitude. I'm all for people buying fresh and new product. But if you got 600 bucks, you ought to make a choice of what do you want to buy with it? And that's your budget. And if something is a thousand bucks, then you can say, I'm going to stretch for that. Or no, I'm going to spend my 600 bucks. And what's the best thing I can get with 600 bucks? And it could be what you want to collect with your budget, whatever sport, new or old, vintage, modern, and have fun with it. That's the beauty of the hobby. We've had the social experiment here in Dallas last month, and we got another one coming up at the end of this month, and then a number of months ago, Kyle Robertson, with these Plano shows at Waters Creek, we'd be reading about in the newspaper that uh, massive pandemic hit on collectors in Texas, all traced back to this super spreader event. I've heard nothing about that, and Kyle was really packing them in last month. The National is a phenomenon. Part of going there is the excitement of being there with a whole bunch of other people. But what if there were 800 booths and the crowd was substandard? How would that be bad for you as a collector? You'd have less competition to buy what you want to buy. The prices might be more reasonable. I'm going to be there if it's on. And I think a lot of dealers are going to be there and a lot of collectors are going to be there. If there's this huge record-breaking attendance, you know, the fire marshal or Dr. Fauci step in and say, you're going to have to be socially distanced and masked up and all that, and take your temperature before you get in, and maybe half the people will be vaccinated at that point. Rich Klein said I, he does suspect that the autograph section will be different. Historically, back a long time ago, the autograph pavilion was considered competition with the 
regular card dealers that people weren't going to be at my table. They were going to be over in the autograph area. What these last couple of shows have shown is that even without autograph guests, there's a pretty big group of people that want to come and spend time at the table. So I don't see that as being a big problem. I think there's going to be a reduced autograph pavilion. Yeah. It's going to be slower moving, but I don't see that as bad for the card no. hobby. How do collectors get their hands on product that the shelves are empty every time you go to the stores? I hate to be the contrarian, but I disagree with the question. I've been to a thousand card shops in my life. I've never seen empty shelves. I've seen products that were long gone and, and empty spots on the shelf, but I've never walked into a card shop and they're sold out. They're sold out of a product, not sold out of everything. If you're going in just looking for one thing, then you're at the mercy of whatever that price is. But they've got tons of other stuff. Every card shop is things they don't have and things that they do have. And if you're fixated on the hottest product, then you're going to pay the hottest price. And I go to the Target or the Walmart. They still got some stuff. Now, it's not great stuff, but the shelves are not empty. Yeah, they're filled with NASCAR. <laughs> Walmart or Target, it's usually going to be limited. There's probably not going to be any type of baseball or football or basketball. I'm not saying there's good product there. But those mass retailers are in the business of moving product. And empty shelves look bad. Stuff when it's not even getting to the shelves, that's really frustrating. But a lot of the card shops have 100,000 SKUs. But the two or three boxes that you want, they don't have anymore. I feel sorry about that, but it's not like there aren't alternatives. Card shops loaded with retail products. Of course, it's a 5X the price. And I agree with 5X the price is crazy. Unless they had to buy it at 3X or 4X the price, which I highly doubt. But make a few bucks, but having a decent secondary price. As long as people keep buying at 5X, right. people are going to buy right. 4X and 3X right. and 2X. And, and somebody's got to say no. And they're not saying no to the hobby. They're saying no to that product at that markup. When that happens, if there's a loud and clear message, then there's some adjustment, a ripple down effect. People say, wait, it's not a sure thing to buy this and, and flip it immediately without any knowledge. So somebody's got to say no. Otherwise, it's 6X next week. Rich says that Mike is basically paying 3X and selling for 4X. And I don't have a problem with that. We don't know what they're buying it for unless we're friends with them and we, we can trust what they're telling us. I don't have an issue if they buy it at 3X and they sell it at 4X. It's a, your business. You can't sell something in the negative. You can't get it at 3X and sell it at retail price. That's not smart business. It's a business, but there's some businesses that are like very transactional. The seller doesn't know the buyer. Who cares? It's just a commodity. Mike Fruitman, on the other hand, highly relational. He doesn't even think he has customers. He has collectors that come into his store up in Aurora, Colorado. And so being relational, he wants collectors to know that he's trying to take care of them. So he's trying to source product as cheap as he can, which might be 65 bucks for a blaster. And then when he sells it for 79, which is, you know, a, not an unreasonable markup for a retail store, but he wants people to know that because he wants repeat business in the hobby. That's the fun of it, that you're doing business, trading, buying, selling from people that you're going to keep on buying and selling from. And Mike totally gets that. And many others do too. They're in a tough spot because otherwise people are going to think you got this either direct or somehow under the table at Walmart at, at 20 bucks. And now you're quadrupling your money when he's nothing of the sort. And so he's trying to do his own PR without acting like he's you know a saint. He's a business guy and he believes that long-term uh, customer satisfaction is going to be to his best interest. Smart business. From what he sees, the retail arbitrage window is closing. Okay, I'm the contrary guy. I don't want it to close. I just want it to narrow. <laughs> Next year, I think retail is going to be 30 instead of 20. And maybe instead of immediately tripling, maybe they're only going to just double. 
Okay, but it's going to give people pause. And I just want there to be a knowledge component that you understand what's going on in the hobby and you just can't buy it and automatically uh, double your money. That's to me unhealthy. That's too easy. Not close the window, just Panini and all of them, they don't want to stop selling on that channel. They just want to get a better handle on it. Do you feel like we'll see a price increase in store retail? Of course we are. I mean, if you're Panini or Tops or Upper Deck or any of the card manufacturers, who's making money on the product? The aftermarket, the, the secondary tertiary sellers are making a lot more money than Panini is. They want their slice of it. So if it's immediately selling, I just can't imagine they're not going to raise their price. Now, Walmart and Target, there's some negotiation of what to configure it. It might be that rather than raising price, which I actually think is better, they may downsize the product. It's the candy bar theory. The candy bar is still going to cost the same but it's going to be 20% shrink the size. Well, I hate to say it's about the money, but they have minimum guarantees to the leagues and the players. And so it's about the dollars they can bring in. So they're not in favor of shrinking the number of cards as much as they are of increasing the number of dollars. So mm -hmm. if I were them, that's what I'd do. Yeah, if they are selling the boxes for 20 and they're going for 90, there's a lot of money that they're not getting. Leaving money on the table. Now's the time to go from 20 to 30. You raised an interesting point. When it goes from 20 to 90, it's just too much. But further point is that if it goes from 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 to 90 on the food chain, then a lot of those people in that food chain are my friends, your friends, because they're the knowledgeable collectors that are really working the hobby. What I don't like is the biggest chunk of profit is for people outside the hobby, not knowledgeable, just quick flippers to me that I won't say they're not my friends. I don't know them, but they don't have roots in the hobby. In, the, in a healthy hobby, everybody's doing okay all the way up and down the chain. Everybody makes their cut. But when it's sidestepped by somebody swooping in, picking up all the stuff that are not really part of our industry, opportunists, if they jump in and become part of our industry, then that's better. And I can't restrict, but I love it when my friends prosper in this industry. When I hear somebody making a good deal, I think that's great. But these are not people in our industry. If it's too easy, I don't yeah. want to stop the flipping. I just don't want it to be such a big chunk. The flippers are the ones that are doing the best. That's what I don't like. Yeah. There's some opportunity to be strategically flipping. That's fundamental to our industry. If they raise the price, do you think they should be making the value worth it? More guaranteed autos or something? It already is worth it. It's already selling at a multiple of the original price. When it's flying off the shelves <laughs> at a certain price, why would you improve the product? When we buy the packs. It's a little bit of gambling. You never know who you're going to get. But that's based on the SRP. It's already selling it, you know, four, three, four, five, six times. All it means is that when Panini does a product and they spec it out that, let's say charitably, half the people don't get value for the box and half do, and a few of them just hit a home run. Multiply by 3x or 4x or 5x, then 90% of the people are not going to get a good deal on that box. But there's still the home run hitters, the ones that are going for the huge cards, there's still going to be a few that hit, like Vegas. The people that brag are the ones that come back that made a lot of money. Most people come back with less than they went with. And the big payout cards continue to go up in price. That's really what's driving it. Why pay more to improve quality? Quality control is not a look at each card individually before it goes in the pack. That's not practical. So right. there, but there are tolerances for the cards, so there's sampling and stuff like that. Secondly, the hobby needs to change our terminology. Instead of ripping packs, we need to be gently opening the packs. <laughs> Rip the pack. I've had different ways over the years where I've opened packs, and uh, some can be more damaging than others. I don't try to mess them up. But right. Panini can say, you messed it up. It was okay on our end if there's a crease. You crunched it in with some other product or something. 
So that's that's why you should always open your stuff live, record it. Right. Usually have a little code on the box and show that code and show everything, pulling it out of the box. The pack sitting there, you opening each pack right on camera. You can watch the whole process. It's the same discussion we had with customer service many months ago on this show. That is that the card companies are in it to make money. They don't want to have bad customer service, but they maybe don't want to have great customer service if it means doubling their customer service staff so that they can get the calls on the first ring. Same thing with quality control. To have perfect quality control is very expensive. So they want to have optimal quality control. And that's going to mean an occasional problem that hopefully they'll deal with honorably. As you said, if you didn't do anything wrong, then hopefully they'll make good on that. I think about the retail dilemmas. You don't want to get your frustration quotient too high, especially for people coming into the hobby. If you tell them, hey, go buy this product and they go and it's not available, that's frustration. And too much frustration is bad. The challenge of the quest is what's cool about the industry. So, again, it can't be too easy, but it can't be too hard, too simple. That'd be bad. Too complicated, that'd be bad. Brody, the most insightful 12-and-a-half-year-old yep. in our industry, what would make the hobby too expensive if everything doubled in price, except that there's dollar boxes? So if you just have 20 bucks or 50 bucks, you get 20 or 50 cards. And some of the big dollar boxes, you got a whole array of players, new and old. And so I think you can get in, but you can't always get in with the product you want at the old price, because prices keep going up. You've got to be flexible to say, I want to get in this hobby and I'm going to start within my budget and I'm going to work my way up. When you walk into a card show, there's a lot of expensive stuff, expensive wax, but there's a lot of stuff that isn't that expensive. It's not as in high demand, but it's still something. And if you're sharp, you can parlay that. When I used to tell people I was into cards, they'd say, oh, you're into cars. <laughs> That's not <laughs> cards. But you don't go to the car lot, whether it's a, a new car place or an old car, and say, I don't think most people don't go there and say, what's the most expensive car you have? <laughs> they say, here's what I'm looking for. And if it's too expensive, so well, and then they're finance it. Or, or you'll say, maybe I need to look at the last year's model or something like that. There's mm -hmm. any number of ways to scratch that itch. My hope is that people get in the hobby and have some flexibility to see there's almost an infinite number of choices. If you're in it for the long haul, you're going to iterate toward a better and better collection. Opening wax is magic. We're so blessed in this industry that even the junk of 30 years ago it's not that it's golden now, but we think there's an infinite supply, or we thought there was back in 1990, but right. it wasn't infinite. There almost is no such thing now as junk wax. There are junk cards. There are junk products. But if they're in the wax form, they're desirable because of the unknown of what you might get. Even though the best card you can get in some of these products retails for a buck, ungraded. But yeah. you know, if it gets a 10, who knows? But junk wax, there almost is no such thing.